the Lord's Prayer. And what a prayer it is. I remember learning it as a little toddler. Memorizing it. Saying it with my family. Sitting in the second pew where the young family always sat in the First Congregational Church in Kokomo, Indiana. That prayer has been a central part of my life from my earliest memories of church until today. Today begins an eight-week series on the Lord's Prayer as we take it phrase by phrase. Prayer is at the core of the Christian life, and yet we know and understand so little about it really. And so we will be delving into prayer through a very special prayer. Today we are ready to plunge into that greatest Christian prayer of all time as we explore the first phrase, Our Father, who art in heaven. Now I know that these words can be problematic for many in our modern times. I am not here this morning to debate the sex of God. For as an older member has said, God is greater than gender, being both male and female, yes, but being more than both of them. I agree with that understanding of God. For anything less is to limit God, yet I recognize that for some, the masculine nature of God is simply not helpful while for others it is tremendously important and central in their relationship with God. The issue here this morning is not taking sides. Again, God cannot be limited one way or another. The issue is not even what you are most comfortable with in terms of your usage with the gender language in regards to God. The issue is that as a community of believing Christians, we have to deal with the father nature of God because it is such a large part of our tradition and such a large part of Jesus' relationship with God as we learn of it in the New Testament. If Jesus were here today, he might say, our mother-father God. I don't know what Jesus would say if he were here today. He grew up in a patriarchal society, and that's the language he knew. But he must have prayed numerous times throughout his life, but in most of the cases where we know of it in Scripture, he refers to God as Father. And so we have to take the fatherhood nature of God seriously. We need to take some of the other images of God seriously, too. But for today, our focus is on the Lord's Prayer, which begins our Father. The Lord's Prayer is relatively short. It can be said in about 30 seconds. It was not particularly novel. It contains a lot of Jewish thought. It's just that Jesus put it together in a fresh way. When Jesus gave it to his disciples during his Sermon on the Mount, he intended it to be used regularly, but not out of compulsion. It is a heart prayer. A heart prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a universal prayer which, trans which transcends time and space. It's both a public prayer. We say it each week. 
and it is a private prayer to be said when we are alone and quiet with God. The impact of Jesus' kingdom prayer is immeasurable. It is uttered daily in hundreds of languages and has been offered more than any other piece of literature throughout history. There's probably hardly a moment in any given day when it isn't being prayed somewhere. And yet, we all know that because of its familiarity, there have been times when we have spoken the Lord's Prayer without thinking about it at all. I have to confess, there are probably hundreds of times in my life when I have said the Lord's Prayer and it's just been words that have come off my lips and little more. You could say with considerable accuracy that we live in a peeping Tom society in the West today. We want stimulus without relationship. We want curiosity satisfied without commitment. So begins the stimulating book, Beyond Belief, by Richard Holloway. Holloway blames our spectatoritis on television. The many hours a week we spend watching TV has produced a kind of distance between the watcher and the world. There's a new kind of mind around, Holloway states, uninvolved, passive, unsurprised, and deeply bored, purged of expectation, impervious to mystery. The collective mind of our society is lobotomized, and we are all affected by it, he concludes. What a telling commentary on our culture. Surely there are times for many of us when saying the Lord's Prayer does not carry the commitment it should. Little Jeffy's parents were listening to him say his nighttime prayers as he knelt by his bed. They were surprised when he began his prayer with the story of the three bears. Jeffy, why aren't you saying your prayers? asked his mother. I'm going to, replied Jeffy, but God hears the same thing every night, so I thought I'd start off with a bedtime story. Actually, I doubt God tires of hearing the Lord's Prayer when it is offered with real meaning from the heart. I suspect it is we who tire of it when it is recited out of thoughtless repetition. And whenever you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward already. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will hear you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Today, I'd like to offer three eyes for seeing beyond the mundane routine of reciting the Lord's Prayer regularly. These eyes are not visual eyes for seeing. Rather, they are three words beginning with the letter I for providing insight into that opening phrase of the greatest of prayers. 
The three I words are involvement, intimacy, and identity. The first word of the prayer is our. It is the, it is the plural possessive pronoun. When something is ours, it involves connectedness. We can speak to a friend and say, your church or your town, and we need not be involved in it. But when we say our church, our city, there is involvement and participation at some level. That faithful German pastor who struggled against the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, once wrote in his little book, The Cost of Discipleship, It matters little what form of prayer we adopt or how many words we use. What matters is the faith which lays hold on God and touches the heart of the Father who knew us long before we came to him. Our involvement with God is expressed the moment we open our mouths and utter the first word of Christ's kingdom prayer, our, our. For here we address God not by talking about God, but by talking with God. Jesus' choice of the word, our, was not happen chance. Because in addition to being possessive, our, that is, our being possessed by God, it is also intentionally plural. An anonymous poem goes like this. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you say the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your sister and brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it does not once say me. The opening salutation, our Father means that we are all children of God, and as such, we are all equal in God's sight. Preferential treatment for some is out. Participation for all is in. When we sincerely pray our Father, we cannot condone oppression, inequality, and the putting down of some for the sake of others. Governments have been doing this throughout history, and our day is no exception. Some of you may remember that national comedian, Mark Russell. You remember Mark Russell? He once put together the Lord's Prayer for public schools, trying to make a play, I think, on political correctness. He said, Our, father, our father or mother, who art either in heaven, Nirvana, Mecca, or Salt Lake City, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, providing thy will is that America is always the big winner over the foreign heathen. Give us this day our daily white bread, black bread, Italian bread, Jewish rye, English muffins or tacos, and a quarter pounder with cheese and a large fries to go. And lead us not into temptation or into school buses that take us into neighborhoods where the kids are different. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
especially for people who still use words like thine. You see, when we take seriously that first word, our, it settles our relationship with others because we are involved in our relationship with God, we are involved in relationship with all others. Christ corrects our selfish individualism by teaching us to begin by praying our, our, which means involvement. And this leads to the second word of the prayer, Father. And our second I word, intimacy. You've heard it before, but Jesus did a radical thing in his day when he called God Father. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to God and said, Abba, which is Papa or Daddy, a very intimate expression with God. And to a good Jew, God was always seen and revered as being distant and separate. So when Jesus did this by calling God Father and Abba, he was seen as being blasphemous in the eyes of the Jews. Perhaps Jesus had had a good, close relationship with his earthly father, Joseph. We just know very little about that. But think back to the controversy around Jesus' birth. I can imagine that when he was older, Jesus was told how Joseph supported he and Mary in what appeared to be a very embarrassing nine months, as they were not married, and how Joseph had protected them by taking them to Egypt. Jesus may well have had a good relationship with his earthly father, yet Jesus was wise enough to know that no earthly father is always reliable. All are human, and in the end, they are not enough. Thus, Jesus could speak those frame-shifting words in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 9. Call no man your father on earth, for you have only one father who is in heaven. This one is to be trusted in all things and will always be there. Only God can, can care for us always. In biblical times, then, there were at least two levels in seeing the father nature of God. One was the paternal. God was creator and author of life. And the other was expressive of intimate fatherhood as revealed through caring and his close relationship with Jesus. Theologian Gordon MacDonald, in his book, The Effective Father, shares the tale of a medieval sidewalk superintendent who asked three stone masons on a construction project what they were doing. The first replied that he was laying bricks. The second described his work as that of building a wall. But it was the third laborer who demonstrated genuine esteem for his work when he said, I am building a cathedral. Pose that same question to any two fathers concerning their role in a family, and you're liable to get the same kind of contrast. The first may say, I'm supporting a family. But the second may see things differently and say, I am raising children. 
The former looks at his job as putting bread on the table, but the latter sees things in God's perspective. He is participating in the shaping of lives. In some sense, God is like that, yet much more than that. The fatherhood nature of God, which is beyond all earthly fatherhood, offers a personal relationship of intimacy with God. Intimacy allows us to bring our identity in line with God's identity, which leads to our third I word for seeing into this opening phrase of the Lord's Prayer, namely, identity. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's who's being addressed in this prayer. The one of heaven, a spiritual father, not an earthly father, with all the limitations, fallibilities, and perhaps a need to be a dominant male. No, God is beyond that as the heavenly father. You see, the insight of identity is that when we know who God is, at least in part, we can discover our relationship and our identity in connection to that God. If God is our father in the larger sense, then we are God's sons and daughters, part of the whole family. And it is through Jesus that we see more and more who the Heavenly Father is, a father far greater than we dare imagine. An anonymous author once observed, We become what we know. We are that which we deeply contemplate. And in this way, we can become the person God intends us to be. Such a relationship empowers us in our emerging identity to do the work of God. Our text speaks of God who is in heaven. And Jesus said elsewhere, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I should have, go, I should have told you, for I am going there on purpose to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You see, ultimately, our identity is found in the gift of presence, to be finally and fully in the presence of God, to know that we are being drawn more fully into God's presence each step of the journey is the greatest gift we can have because it all impacts our identity. Address still known. In this larger way, we can still address God as our Father and God's address is still known, heaven. And at that address, our faith affirms that there will be room for us in God's loving and living presence. Our identity is seen in God's identity, our Father who art in heaven. Praying teaches us to recognize who we are and who God is. These are our three eyes for seeing this morning. Our three I words of insight into this opening phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Involvement. Intimacy. And identity. To speak the word our is to be involved with God and necessarily to be involved with all the rest of God's children, our brothers and sisters, the world round. To say our Father 
is to claim an intimate relationship with one who cares for us more than we can ever know. And to pray our Father, who art in heaven, is to recognize an identity which affirms us and will never let us go. Our Father, who art in heaven. To fully pray that phrase and understand its implications, we almost needn't go any further. In a sense, it is complete in and of itself. But the prayer does go on, and next week we will explore Hallowed Be Thy Name, under the title, Out of Sight, Yet Seen. The closing word this morning goes to a fellow Hoosier of mine. His name is John Castile. He's a theologian and writer, and it comes from his book, The Promise of Prayer. This one sentence, the adoration of God is the beginning and the end of all our prayer as it is of all our life. Praise be to God for the gift of the Lord's prayer and its insights of involvement, intimacy, and identity. Amen.